Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode, Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking late season, post-rut, the rut is over, deer hunting strategies with none other than himself, Mr. Brad Rugg from Deer and Deer Hunting. And so we're going to get him on here, pick his brain, get some nuggets for y'all. If you haven't bagged that big buck yet, or you have and you're just going after another, whatever you might be doing, you're just trying to put some more stuff in the memory bank. We got Brad on here to talk about that. And again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning in to the Unstand Podcast. We really appreciate the support. We couldn't do this without y'all. So if you haven't yet, make sure, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you haven't downloaded the HuntStand app yet, make sure you download it. You got the free version. We've got the pro version. And new this fall, we got Pro Whitetail to where you can unlock all the features to maximize your time in the woods while chasing Whitetail. So again, y'all, here's Brad Rook. I'm going to quit rambling. And thank you for tuning in to the HuntStand Podcast. Well, Brad, you ready to get this thing started? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brad, first and foremost, just want to thank you for your time this morning and welcome to the Hunt Stand Podcast. Hey, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, man. We're, we're glad to get you on here. You know, it's it's the week of Thanksgiving. We're all fixing to fill our bellies, do some deer hunting. And I wanted to get you on here to talk about post-rut hunting strategies. You know, this time of November, a lot of places across the country, these deer are starting to get off the rut. There still might be a few straggler bucks, but this is a time of year that they're they're kind of backing off. And so I want to dive into that. But first, before we do that, what I like for the guests to do is I like for you to kind of give the listeners that 30 foot tree stand view, if you will, of who you are. So kind of introduce yourself to everybody, let us know who you are and kind of where you, how you've gotten to where you are in life. Sure. No, no problem at all. You know, uh, Brad Rucks, I, I work for deer and deer hunting. Uh, I've been in the industry since 1993, been a whitetail hunter since the day I turned uh, 12. That was legal age in Wisconsin. Actually, my dad took me along probably when I was like eight years old, which is unheard of. Yeah. Uh, and we used to hunt the hard way, to be honest with you. My kids are so spoiled right now. We had big box blinds with heaters, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, you're 20 feet up in a homemade, uh, you know, wood stand, and you sat all day, every day. I mean, that that's how we firearm hunted. Um, I was one of the first people to really pick up a bow. I shot my first deer with a bow in 1983. Wow. Uh, and at that time, it was like a rarity. I mean, like my dad called the neighbors. He was so excited about it. You know, to hear you shot. I, I, I held out for the big one. He was a little basket seven. You know, he came out with a fork and a spike. So, yeah. I mean, that's 
on we go. We've been doing management for, you know, probably the past at least 15 to 20 years. Uh, over that, probably 25 years because my son's 22. Uh, so we started managing our place before it was the rage. We started planting food plots before everybody in the world had them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of things we've learned in that process. You know, so that that's kind of my background. I'm a whitetail nut. My wife would tell you I'm probably a great father, husband, right up until, you know, August or even July when we're thinking about food plot strategy, what we're going to do, how we're going to hunt it, you know, kind of that that angle of things. And I turn into whitetail freak. Don't we all, man? Don't we yeah. all? I think my wife might say the same thing if she heard this conversation right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so. tell, tell us what you do for deer and deer hunting, man. So, I, you know, my, my career started as a, a sales rep. I became sales manager, became publisher, then was group publisher. Now I'm one of the owners. So uh, it's kind of full circle. Uh, I do a little bit of everything. I still, you know, in my thing I'm probably most passionate about is sales. I love working with clients. I love hearing about the new products that they have and trying to figure out, a, you know, a marketing program that works, be it print, digital, broadcast. We have four television shows now. We still publish deer and deer hunting. Um, we reach about 1.2 million people, hunters, on the on the social side. So we're, wow. we're pretty player, you know, in the whitetail world. Heck yeah. Yeah, I think... You know, as long as I can remember, you know, for, I mean, since I was a kid, I can remember just going to grocery stores or, you know, being somewhere and always seeing a deer and deer hunting magazine. And, you know, I'd always try and pick it up if mom and dad would let me at the time. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So believe it or not, back when uh, the magazine started, which was 1977, I have one of the first copies. So, so always been a whitetail freak. My grandma found it. I don't know where she found it, but she gave me a subscription for like a Christmas present. <laughs> and you know, so I, I, I've been reading it since then. And it, it, what's really interesting, if you go back, you know, and look at some of the old articles, what they believed and what they thought, you know, based off the research that was available back then, mm-hmm. isn't even true right now. You know what I mean? Like so yeah. things that so much so far in uh, you know it goes back to even doing sales trail cameras back when they're filmed people can't appreciate a film camera i mean we got really good at running trail cameras only getting buck photos and figuring out how to do it because if you had the film cameras you're paying you know every 32 roll of film you're you're paying and if you guys there's so many people right now that dump out a bait pile right and throw it on there Heck, that camera would have been filled in one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) My strategy, I use totally different strategies. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, things have changed dramatically, I'd say, since then. But yeah, deer hunting is definitely in your blood. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, man, so for this podcast, you know, like I I talked about earlier, it's Thanksgiving. So we're going to start transitioning into December here fairly quick. And, you know, these deer, like Texas, we're still going to have a few deer that are rutting, you know, further down south, south Texas, these deer will rut into January. But I'd say for a good portion of the country, we're on the backside of the rut. Would you not agree with that? hundred percent agree. I mean, it's starting to wind down right now. Mm-hmm. You're probably going from seeing, you know, four-year-olds uh, wandering to the threes and twos are still looking for does. No. There's just that are still going to come in heat. So most of those big boys are starting to lay low, to be honest with you. So when you say lay low, uh, you know, I think a lot of guys are probably thinking, oh man, they're not going to be coming by my deer stand. Are those bucks just kind of getting back into that feeding routine, 
Yeah, absolutely. So they're recouping. You got to think about this. That they've been on their feet twenty four seven for mm-hmm. the past few weeks, right? Um, so, so literally, they they just want to get back to their bedding area, and, and they know, you know, some of these does are going to recycle. They're just trying to build up their energy. They're not going to exert a ton of energy. They're probably bedded back to where their home zone was before the season yeah. even. Started, you know, they kind of transitioned back into that area. And uh, if you guys ever late season, you know, shed antler hunt or anything, you can find those zones. It'll just be full of rubs. <laughs> you know, absolutely. You'll have a 50-yard area that'll have 20 rubs in it. Because these deer don't sleep all day. They might get up and they might work on a, you know, a rub for a while and then bed back down is basically the movement you're going to get. But they're still slaves to their stomach, right? So they're going to come out. The colder it is, the better it is in, in, you know, my neck of the woods. And it's kind of funny. So that's not true for all different parts of the country. So, um, you know, here we love our first snowfall in Kansas, man, they, they might not like that first snowfall yeah. or they bitter cold. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's a little different in everybody's area. But for us here in the Midwest, man, the colder that is, the better. If you got a high pressure that's in there, they're going to move early. If you got a barometer that's going to be, you know, plummeting, they're going to move before it starts. As soon as it starts dropping, they're going to move before that storm hits. There's so many things they really key in, but number one is food. So you better figure out where, you know, what food source they're eating, right? Mm-hmm. And if you own your own property, do some work in the summer and put some of these late season food sources in so that you can manipulate those deer. You know, I plant a ton of brassicas. We we use, you know, for me personally, I use Whitetail Institute stuff and and we use their turnip bulbs and and greens and, and basically the deer absolutely love them. Um, how many acres, you know, I only get my farms about 300 acres. We probably have 20 acres of turnips in it. Yeah. Plots are anywhere from two and a half acres, probably is the largest one, down to a third of an acre. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, we feed them a lot of that. Um, the other strategy I really like, because I already know that they're going to be lazy, right? They, mm-hmm. they, if I can get that food closer to their bedding area, now I can sit right on top of them. So, think about how you're going to get there, how you're going to exit your stand, because uh, you can't educate them. You know, if you're, especially if you're hunting a four year old buck, he's pretty dang smart so what we do is you know like literally i I can hunt with one of my kids and and be in the stand and the food plot's full of deer and you're wondering how i get out of it i'll I'll call home or text one of the other and bring the utv down and just spook them all out of the field once they're out of the field uh, i get down on the tree stand and right back home they don't even know i was in there really yeah yeah man so uh, the the big thing with educating the whitetail, and, and he might still come out to that food plot, but he's probably going to come after. But if he feels safe and and he doesn't think everybody's been in there hunting on him, he, he'll come out there in the daylight, and that's what you need for these late season deer. So. Okay, okay. So when you're starting to, in your mind, you know, let's 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 put put us through a scenario. You know, do you have a target buck that you have killed yet, or do you still have a target buck that's on the foot? Yeah. So, so, so if we got, you know, he had a 10, he just died, you know, mm-hmm. so the neighbor shot him during firearm season, but I can tell you if he was alive, what I would have done. So I, on our place, he didn't spend a ton of time there, but uh, I, I planted a food plot specifically on that corner of my, my property in case, you know, they didn't shoot him. Okay. Yeah. So they don't shoot him. They have no food left on theirs. Okay. So I stuck that deer over. I'm not going to hunt him. 
until I get a picture of them in that plot. I'm going to leave it alone. Uh, um, we run cell cameras, you mm -hmm. know, on, on the place, so I don't have to get by it. The minute I know he's hitting that plot during daylight, okay, not now, now we got a game on, right? So, right. oh, you just got to wait for the right wind. I've already placed the tree stands in in sp the spots where I think he'll come, you know. So, and, and with that plot, it's not like a two acre plot; it's a little third acre plot. So, had he been around, literally, I can almost shoot across the whole dang plot. You know what I mean? So now it's just a matter of time uh, of getting him to my tree. I do one more thing to get them by that tree. Uh, I'm a huge, uh, uh, scrape, you know, um, uh, mock scrape guy. Yeah. So oh, what, uh, you know, you can use trees that are there. Uh, what we do is we develop a, I put a four by four out, I put a big fiberglass rod on it. And then I, I've learned over the years that they really like a certain type of rope. So I, I basically braid the rope down that rod. And then at the end, I leave like three strands hanging down. Every deer, every buck that comes out, even the does will come and leave scent on that coconut wire, the rope. So really? what does come into that area, he's going to start using that scrape. You know, I, I know he's going to come and work on the rope just a little bit. Those things are always 20 yards from my tree stand. So I'm going to get a bunny shot. Now you said coconut wire. Yeah. So basically it's a coconut uh, hair braided. It's It's super super what do i want to say like well it absorbs scent so it's really rough mm -hmm. you know kind of like kind of a coconut would be and, and it's super rough it, you could probably use like for you guys that grew up on farms like it, it's it kind of reminds me of the baylor twine only rougher and, and like stickier so that if a deer is working with it his hair is going to get sick in it it's his glands on his forehead are it's going to suck some of more of that that stuff up huh. and that's what like literally we got one across my road from my house and uh the rope it's only been in there two years and the rope is pretty much gone and they're still working on it you know what i mean they just absolutely love that thing it's just a just a way for them to leave sand and everybody for you guys that don't know why they work on it that is a whitetail's calling card. That is basically saying it's almost like a uh, a worker's you know time card. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> you know what I mean. So that's it means to them. And why we like to do it is you know that we got onto this many many years ago when we were working with trail cameras, you know, to get buck photos. And and literally, I learned that mock scrapes are worked year round. You know, people think it's only uh, October, November. No, I mean, they'll hit it in velvet. They'll hit it when their antlers are off. Mm -hmm. It's that calling card that they're coming to that area. And we put one of those four by fours in every one of our, our food plots. And we put them closer to that tree stand. Uh, we already know in Wisconsin, our predominant wind's going to be north, northwest for late season, right? So th that, that, that plot's going to have a north, northwest hang on in it. That's in the perfect position to harvest deer coming into that plot. I like that. That's a good idea. So you're just, you're taking those four by fours, putting them in the ground. And then now you said you're doing a fiberglass rod. Rod. Yeah. Yeah. So literally it is a, a it's either five foot or six foot fiberglass rod. Um, and then we wrap the, I got the rope. How much am I in? Here, here's my new rope. Literally we keep it here um because once in a while you get a buck that'll break that damn fiberglass rod on you and you got to replace it God. because it 
so hard. Uh, and why we use that fiberglass is because it bounces. Mm-hmm. And then we it literally, we don't make them jump up to the hind legs. We make it so they can walk underneath it, lift up their head, and they're right there. You know what I mean? So it's it's literally just a little bit, you know, basically shoulder height for you or I. No. Is where and, and, and they absolutely just eat it up. Man. So, the other thing you can do then, why we like the, the rods, because your four by fours have a hole and you just put the rod in, you can pull it out. If you've got a mature deer that isn't hitting it during daylight, right? So now you want to screw with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. You pull that rod out, you pull one from my other farm, you know, like three quarters of a mile away and put that rod into that. And now he, when he goes there, he's going to see it, think it's the same. He can't smell himself. All he smells are all these other bucks that he has no clue who the heck they are. So now, you know, now he's like, holy crap, I'm pissed. I'm going to come out earlier because he's trying to see him. So yeah. that's one thing you can do too. Okay. Okay. Well, now you got me thinking how I can do this out on my place. I, I really like the fiberglass rod idea and then this this coconut hair. Now, you just find this at any hardware store. What kind of, yeah. I mean, are you using like fishing poles for a fiberglass rod? What are you doing? So, so literally, I, I found them on Amazon. Just look for a five glass, you know, five foot. You could do it with a four footer. I, I like five foot because it bounces a little bit more. Okay. It, I like that movement because it feels like a natural branch. We used to use, and you can use a natural branch, guys. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. The problem with a natural branch is uh, once it dies out, you know, and it's dead, dead, they really don't like it as much. So you're only going to get a year, maybe two years out of it where these rods really been year round. We never touch the things and they just keep on hammering them. So that's why we switched over because we used to use a four by four and we would rig up a system where you could attach a branch to it, mm-hmm. you know, perfect spot. So it's just one of the easy ways. The other thing is if you put that branch facing you, you know, like where the four by four is. So the branch is like coming right down at you. Those deer are going to give you a, a broadside shot, no matter which way they come into it. So, okay. you know, work it from behind that four by four. They're always going to come in. They're going to work it from the side or they'll come on and do a head on with it, which means they already walked past your stand and you still have another chance at shooting them. Yeah. The other thing it really does is it takes their eyesight, you know, cause they're so focused on doing that. That, that literally you can get away with a lot of movement if you have to. All right, y'all, we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick for a quick word from our sponsors. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse Footwear, innovating boots that endure with you through every adventure, now and forever forward. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and Winchester. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. All right, y'all. We're going to get back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Okay, okay. So, one of the other things I want to ask you, uh, you know, there's guys that I've talked to that when they're hunting the rut, you know, kind of that pre-rut, peak-rut phase, they will get in on bedding areas super tight. They'll find those does, get in on them, and... They'll sit there from morning till, you know, midday, little after midday, and then they may transition over to food to stay on some does. But are you still kind of doing that same thing or you're just primarily focused on backing away from those bedding areas and staying on the food? No, I'm staying on the food is my, my strategy. And then honestly, we don't hunt it in the morning. Mm-hmm. So we afternoons. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what everybody else's strategy, but early season, we will hunt afternoons because those deer bed so close to the, the, the food sources, right? They're barely in the woods and yeah. you do more 
lot of times. If and that's not for everyone. I mean, you might have a spot you can come in the back door or you can get close. My area personally, yeah, we had a couple spots we could hunt in the morning, but it is so much better in the afternoon because that's where all the movement is. And then we try to get out there early, right? It gets dark here. The legal shooting time's probably at four thirty. We might go out at one thirty because some of those does and fawns will be out there as soon as you get in the stand. And if you spook them back in, it's like the buck's like, ah, oh, something's wrong. I'm just going to wait, you know, and I'll, I'll go out at dark. You know what I mean? So they don't give you the chance where if you beat the deer in, you know, now they can just fill in and then they're so comfortable and they come out and they see, you know, eight, nine other deer in the food plot. Yeah. They're so, well, they don't even scent check it or anything else. They just wander out and start eating. So they're almost easier to kill. Would you say this? Oh, time I have. So, so everybody loves the rut, and, and I do too. I'm not going to lie. I love seeing the interaction and what happens. But, man, during the rut, it's a crapshoot because, you know, by by my area, it's filled with egg fields. And, and even though that deer might live on ours or, or, you know, say he's living on 400 acres, he could go out to one of these big egg fields, and it's kind of that communal area where deer come, right? So so you're getting different bedding areas. If a doe is that's in heat, it's coming from from three quarters of a mile the other way, not on my property. Well, my buck's gone, right? And I shouldn't say it's my buck. I call him my buck, but he's technically mine. But I have pictures of him. But he just goes that way. And you might not get him back until after the season because he's just going to continually do that, right? Man. He's going to go out to those food sources, hit a doe. Wherever she goes, he's, he's in tow. Um, we just had footage of just a, a stud out by us that literally had the doe pinned behind the neighbor's barn, like like storage shed. Yeah, and that was in the middle of the day. I went home to let my dogs out, all right? So it's noon, and, and I, I glance over, and here doe is bedded down, and he's standing on top of her. And, and that's that's the deer. It's like, oh, what's he doing over there? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it just shows you, you just never know where they're going to end up. The biggest thing for guys, you know, if they can – have enough cameras and, and they can monitor, you know, kind of what's going on and let the cameras really do the work for them rather than spending a lot of time on the ground themselves. Cause you know, the, the, the more mature the deer is, the more apt they are to leave if they hit human center pressure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cell cameras have really revolutionized the way we can hunt. Big time. I mean, they, yeah. they really have. So the other question I kind of have for you is, are you utilizing any kind of calls in postseason? You know, if I do, I'm not going to hammer the horns together. It would like fighting over. But a lot of times they like, just like early season, you know, people don't think about, you know, antler uh, rubbing or, or uh, fighting. But if you just tinkle the horns together, just make a little like two bucks are sparring, mm-hmm. he might out of his bed just to come out there and check it out you know like oh, i wonder what's going on i'm gonna go out there and, and it, you can tell right away i mean once one year not so much late season but early season i, I rattled in 10 bucks so um and it wasn't hitting the horns together it's almost laughable what you're doing but they're coming out to that food source again wow. we're close to the area so my my early season strategy is almost the same as my late season strategy to be honest with you okay. it, close to the food source you know uh, have an entrance route that you can come in without disturbing the white tails and mm-hmm. then be able to get out without disturbing the white tails. If it means spooking the deer, it means spooking the deer. Not not us personally, but a ATV or coyote howl or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, got to figure out a way to do it. Are you doing any kind of all-day sits? No. I mean, uh, we will during the ruts. It's the only time I ever sit all day from maybe even late October 
through, you know, till, till basically this time of year, Thanksgiving. I mean, mm-hmm. you can sit all day. Uh, today is supposed to be in the forties. Would it be a good day? I think the bucks will be on their feet, but I don't think it'll be mature deer. I think you'll see, you know, year and a half, two and a half, maybe even a three and a half on his feet. I don't think you're going to see a four year old on his feet right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll say I, I actually just killed my first midday buck down here in central Texas. Uh, it was just one of those days we had a chance for sleet and snow and our deer are just now getting to the peak of the rut down here. And I sat for an hour from i moved stand locations and then from about 10 to 11 it's like a light switch just came on and deer just started funneling from everywhere and, and, and there you hit another key is right the, you had a storm system that was moving through mm-hmm. so if a storm system is going to hit at 10 o'clock in the morning i might go out in the morning you okay. know what I mean? or if it hits at noon because i know they're going to feed before that storm hits and, and normally they'll only eat for a little while during that storm so um, again, it, it's just kind of playing with that pressure. You know, if the pressure is going to plummet, uh, I, I got a story. So, so this goes back and it was more of a rut hunt, but, um, my wife had to work late. She was a teacher. And, and uh, at that time, uh, my 10 year old was in school and she called up and said, Hey, can you, you know, pick up 10 from school? I was like, absolutely. I say, Hey, do you care if we hunt? You know, it's supposed to be barometers dropping. It's going to snow tonight. The deer are going to move. It's October 30th. So, so I literally picked him up, asked him if he had homework, and he said no. And I was like, we're going to go kill a big deer tonight. And, and literally, we were in the stand 10 minutes and had just this beautiful 10-point come through that he shot. Um, did I know that the particular deer were going to shoot? No, but I knew big deer were going to be on their feet. And that's the same at late season. If you hit those conditions, big deer are going to be on their feet. Absolutely. So any kind of other – you know, one of the things I like to do is do you have any kind of like little – golden nuggets or maybe like a hidden thing like i feel like that coconut hair rope that was kind of something and that 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 is a huge one yeah uh, you know scents. i'm not a huge scent guy i'm a huge scent elimination person right uh, um you know everything from ozonics in the tree to spraying down all my clothes making sure they're totally washed all the time mm-hmm. um you know i keep myself in the locker you know so that, that's one of the big biggest things but the 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 real key to any time of hunting and it, it's not rocket science it's literally makes when you enter or when you leave you got to make sure those deer don't know it because the deer are going to pattern you as easily as you're patterning them so mm-hmm. if you're leaving human scent out there if they see you get out of a tree stand and it's it's kind of obvious like literally you can go to a spot and see 20 deer okay the first set the next set you're probably seeing 15 next set is 10 and pretty soon it's just dead right why is it dead it's because all those deer pattern you and, and and you know i made a ton of mistakes in my younger years i'm not gonna lie i mean i was one of those guys i'm gonna hunt my best stand on my farm as many days as i can yeah well that strategy you know what i mean it really wasn't it, it, you know i was doing more damage than good uh the other thing is i'm tell people don't chase and by that i mean like you know some, sometimes on some of your food sources or locations you might have you know a buck coming out and he's using a couple different areas and, and you get a trail camera picture of him over on the west end say so i'm gonna hunt there tomorrow night now he's on the east side so i'm gonna hunt there no Pick one of your spots, whatever you think is the best. Use percentages. If he's on the west end, 60% of the time, sit on the west end for five days and you'll probably kill him. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. But 
so many people chase. So they're jumping it and you're just missing them nonstop. Another mistake I had made in my younger years. So Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you're talking about that because right now my brother's actually out at our farm right now hunting and we've got some cell cameras up and he's actually chasing after a buck that he missed a few weeks ago. And he has been all over the place. He's been on the north end of this 200 acres and he's been on the south end and he just bas- he's bouncing right now just checking does. And I told him, I said, man, I think you just need to sit in the middle. He's going to come by, sit all day right now. He's going to come by and you're going to get him. Yeah. And that's what you got to do. But but in your mind, you're like, oh, he's over here. I got to leave. And that's where snow cameras are kind of hurt you, right? They can. Because you got that immediate t- intel going, God, he's over there. I got to get over there. That's where I'm going to kill him. You know, so um, in my experience, you're better off. Just like you said, if you know he's coming to one particular area, sit there until you can kill him. You yep. know? Absolutely. So, so uh, your rifle opener is coming up this weekend, you said, right? It was past weekend. Past weekend. Yes. Yep. How are you utilizing pressure from neighboring properties? You know, some of those places, a lot of people don't bow hunt, so they may not be going out there till rifle season. So, you know, for example, you might have a stand location that wasn't really hot before that all of a sudden it's like somebody turned the switch on and there's deer everywhere in there. Yeah, so what we do two things is one is uh, we don't hunt on our whole place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have designated rifle stands. There's probably like four of them, and some of them are fairly close together. We're almost you could say we're hunting the same deer, but we're really not because um, there's a bedding zone in between us. Uh, but what we do is we we leave that that safe zone for the deer. So like my, my favorite spot, we call. Called my daughter's name Jordan Stan, and why I like it is we got we got basically eighty acres, almost hundred acres probably that that we don't even put a foot in, and I know all around it the neighbors are going to put tons of pressure. And, and what that does is we got a big food plot right there. You know, it's probably a two and a half acre food plot. Mm-hmm. All those deer just start dumping in there, and it goes from maybe seeing you know ten deer the first opening weekend in that plot to thirty by the end of it. And what we're hoping is that we draw in one of their big deer that we haven't seen. You know, that's kind of what we're hoping for. Doesn't always work now, but we're sucking over a lot of different deer in particular. And if nothing else, we're saving a ton of deer that that they might have shot and we wouldn't have shot. So therefore, you know, we're we're getting a much better age class the following year. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good strategy to kind of have those areas that you just don't step foot in until you know you know, the neighbors are putting pressure. We've got, we've got some stand locations like that, that we don't really sit, but we know as soon as our neighbors start coming out there, I mean, these guys have put blinds, I mean, right on the fence line. And I know as soon as they start hitting that, we start seeing, I mean, you could sit in a stand location and see 30 deer in a sit because of that. See, and I think our deer here in Wisconsin get so spooky during rifle season because there's so much human scent in the woods, mm-hmm. you know, it went from having, we get bow hunting pressure. We have 200,000, 250,000 bow hunters. We got 700,000 rifle hunters, right? So yeah. it's almost three times as much. And therefore, everybody's out there opening weekend. There's human scent everywhere. But you can see, like, especially if this year there's a lot of standing corn by us. So mm-hmm. food's not crucial as what it is in the past. Um, but if all the egg fields are off, Food is king, right? But you can see these deer literally coming in off those egg fields in the morning once the shooting starts and they hit your sanctuary and they know that they've been safe and they don't smell anything. And it's almost like they totally get relaxed. Like, oh my God, I made it. You know what I mean? So the other thing we noticed by doing that is those deer will move earlier than they would have, you know, if you pressured your whole place. 
So therefore, we don't put a lot of pressure on our deer. The big thing is being able to hunt them without putting pressure on. What, what does the whitetail want, right? They want a safe spot, so mm-hmm. no, low pressure. They want food, they want water, and basically security. And that, that's the pressure angle. So Food, water, and does. Yes, there you go. That's all you need. Well, sweet. Well, Brad, man, I know we're running out of time here, but any last minute advice that you would have for that guy that maybe he's only got a week of vacation left or he can only go get out there for maybe one or two more weekends, what advice do you have for that guy? And this one's a hard pill to swallow. There's a day that if the conditions aren't right, don't go in the woods, Mm -hmm. you know, and by that, I mean, you're going to do more damage than good if you go out there. And yeah, you could get lucky, but I, I would say nine times out of 10, you're going to do more damage. I would rather stay back and miss a day and hunt the following day when the conditions are better or the wind's right. And you see this so many times when a guy only has, you know, 20 or 40 acres, he's in there every day. And I feel bad for that in, individual, not because he only has 20 acres to hunt on. Because he's educated every deer, they're going to push every deer out of there, so therefore he's not seeing them. So take your swings when you got the best chance of killing the deer, and other than that, kind of lay low and try to find another spot to hunt, I guess. What do you consider those bad conditions, and then what do you also consider ideal conditions for this time of year? So, so for, for me is wind, you know, wind is everything. If it's really extremely windy, even if it's a good wind, the deer are probably not going to move well. And if they do, they're going to be extremely spooky up here. Uh, our opener, we've had 20, 20 to 25 miles an hour winds with gusts in the 35 range. Wow. I, I knew flat out the deer weren't going to move. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was in the, what did we see? We see squat. I mean, they just did not move. Um, and that's kind of what I expected. So had it not been opening day of firearm season and it would have been like a Tuesday or Wednesday, we probably wouldn't have went out. Now the wind was okay for us where we went to those stands. So we didn't bugger anything up by blowing our scent through our bedding areas. But if the wind is wrong, cause a lot of times you'll hit some late seasons, it switches to the South, right? And it might, you know, blow right into our food plot. I'm not sitting on that food plot, you know, and I'm, I'm blessed in that I got enough acreage where I can go to a spot where the wind is right. Now, every individual that's listening to this doesn't have that option, right? Right. But so your better options, if the wind is wrong, is staying out of it or, or hunt the very edge or hunt where you can see or Mm. flat, you know, without spooking them. The other thing that, that we really liked, um, I got really good at using some box blinds, which gets away with your movement a little bit more. Um, we use little Mavericks banks, you name them. Uh, and that kind of thing helps contain your scent with ozonics. So, I mean, like, the, you know, there's ways you can counter some of that wind and scent issues. But again, you know, it, it's because I own my own place. Yeah. So what what's your favorite type of day to be out in the woods right now? So for these conditions, I, I, I love coming off a snowstorm so so like if it's nasty and it's windy and the snow or sleet or whatever the minute that high pressure comes in dude i want to be out there in the woods because i know the deer are going to move that they just have this drive for food in those times Mm -hmm. and you know we see it i'm running on my farm i got 18 trail cameras man you'll just see those things light up the minute you know the conditions get right even like i said that this weekend it was really windy on the opener second day wasn't as bad uh sunday night the wind totally died our our cameras basically blew up you know what i mean like you're getting hundreds and hundreds of photos because you knew the deer were on their feet even though it's had 
you know that morning would have been a great morning to get out in the woods, right? Because they're they're all out the food sources. They're going to come back through. You know, they're feeling their oats. So, love it. Well, Brad, man, I really appreciate you just hopping on the podcast, talking some of these post rut hunt strategies, giving the listeners some of those little golden nuggets that they can grab and apply to what they're doing. So tell us real quick where we can find everything deer and deer hunting. So uh, you can visit the website, www.deerandeerhunting.com. Check out the magazine. You'll find it on newsstand racks everywhere. But uh, we got great content, so you can find us anywhere. Just do a search. Sweet, man. Well, I appreciate your time and hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast today. No problem. You take care, my friend. All right, y'all, there you go. We just want to thank Brad for his time today to bring y'all some nuggets for the memory bank, putting y'all's library to go after some of those late season post rut. Rut is over deer hunts. So he had some really good nuggets there and just going after does, going after food and just a couple other little things as well when it comes to creating mock scrapes and other things. So again, y'all, thank you for tuning in on Stand Podcast and we'll see you on the next one. created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment oh that's awesome don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment